0: Hello, my name is Alexander Krause. Alex, welcome to Big Dog Boys. Big Dog Boys is a never-ending story. Never-ending story. Anniversary. It's the anniversary shows are um, still coming out. You may be thinking, Alex, aren't anniversaries supposed to be singular moments in time that you celebrate as one, like, collective let's look back over the years and reminisce. Well, no, in actuality, Anniversaries are something that you build up to for several weeks when you don't really know what else to talk about, okay? I'm sure if, I've ever, if, if I was ever in a relationship that lasted up to an anniversary, I would also be celebrating every single moment I could, even beyond the general anniversary period. I'd be like, hey, silver. Silva! Hey, babe, silver. Don't don't forget it's our silver soon. So get your silvers in check. I'd be constantly reminding them. I'd be like, I need to make sure that we're still in love. I need to be able to validate it through the accruement of silver and paper and mercury and whatever the mercury, the most common anniversary gift. I need, I'm like a crow with spoons. I need to like collect them and make a little camp of safety. I'm safe and we're still in love because you gave me metal. I need metal. Give me an envelope because without a time and your love is not quantifiable through some sort of physical metric you're nothing to me you're ethereal you're the delicate hands of a greater god that i cannot see or understand you are but playthings in the mind's eye i need awe from the ground to verify your love that's how love works that's how anniversaries work so i'm i'm doing it you know i'm doing it it's <laughs> it's our anniversary, but instead of being in love, I've just been doing this for too long. <laughs> That's like the office has been too long. It's been too long, and I think I'm growing older. I'm growing older, and if I'm doing the math on this episode, I think it might release near, nearby my birthday. I don't want to give a specific date because I've previously given out details of my um security code questions, including. What did I say that one time oh, there one of them is what's my favorite US uh, UK panel show that involves tasks and I feel I feel like everybody's already got that one so if I give out another one you could refresh the page and eventually get the perfect duo combination to get through that and as long as you're not a robot and able to tick a cap cat then you're definitely got in to to um, I don't know, what do I value in the world? What's a subscription service that I'm on? You can maybe, you can maybe jump on my Netflix and watch the new Stranger Things. Yeah, yeah, and then wouldn't I look the fool when I go to watch episode 6 and it says I'm halfway through episode 4? You would have really got me then, screwing with my lifestyle. This is the anniversary episode and I was thinking, well it's not the anniversary episode, the anniversary episode's about to come, but this is one of the, uh, I why am I restating this? You understand there's a bunch of anniversary episodes that I'm doing. And for this one, I figured, let's outsource, let's get, let, let's look at how other people are reacting to this anniversary. Obviously... It's a big deal. Obviously, this is the kind of thing that you'd promote in the Times Square. In, in, I'm getting all these emails and calls from all these movie producers saying, hey, can we keep your advertising up in Times Square or do we need to edit it and post for our shot for the new Kingsman, where they go into the future, I get Future? Are they in the past at the moment? I don't know. I can't remember where they were left off with that new one. But, you know, like I'm getting all these requests that there's too much advertising of my show in the Times Square, and a lot of productions have to edit everything out. And it's like, yeah, because it's a big deal, because the anniversary is upon us, and people are all celebrating. A lot of celebrities are getting asked a lot of questions about the show, and they're responding to them, and I thought now would be the time for me to just I don't know, kind of like the reverse of a roast. I'm going to listen to some people praising me, not appraising me, okay? We're not trying to give me a dollar value, I'm doing fine. I don't need that kind of heat, okay? Because once people realize that some of my bones and innards are technically antiques, then we're going to get some of these roadshow nerds up in my grill, up in my business, taking me apart like a bloody robot. Okay, we can't have that. We obviously cannot have that. Trades. Trades on the dark market. Wet market, I suppose, since it'll be organs. Um. So, yeah, I'm going to listen to some of, the, some of the recordings, some of the times that people... Some of these I was there for, you know, I was in the crowd. But I'll give you some information about them after I listen to them. I think I've established the premise, but in case I want to use this for a future... I don't know, compilation for whatever reason. I want to like be able to explain the premise real simple in that. So I could take it as a clip. Let me give you a clean one of what the premise is. This week we're taking recordings. uh, Wait, hang on. No, 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 no. What are we doing? (laughs) This is the clean one. I can do this. I can do this. I can be presentable. This is for my reel. This is for my reel. So it needs to be good. Okay. Okay. I'm not nervous at all. I'm not nervous at all. Uh, uh, cause you know, like I'll be sending this to like all the radio personalities that I love. Hughesy. If Hughesy hears this, I'll lose my bleeding mind. Okay, okay, okay. This week we're looking at celebrity. No, uh, this week, this, uh, wait, what's the premise? What's the premise? We're looking at celebrity. The, uh, this week we're, we're. This week, celebrities are saying how much they love me and I'm listening and responding to them and that's the whole deal. (gasps) Okay, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Like, I'm cool. I'm cool. I did it. I did it. Hello, Husey. I'm a huge fan. I love your rants and your voice and the way that as you begin to speak it looks like your face is about to melt and your eyes are gonna fall out. You terrified me as a child and with age I figured that one day I would escape from your fear but in turn I've only grown more frightened similar to Slappy the Clown from the Goosebumps series of books. I thought I was a child and that's why that was frightening but it turns out that when puppets coming to life is forever terrifying and for some reason i don't find it scary in toy story interesting 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 is it i don't know let's do it let's jump on into this here is some thanks from celebrities and uh yeah that's like the whole thing Uh, where's the button where's the button i should probably kill this up where's this where are these let me have a look see and I told all my writers to watch the show because I, I thought I honestly was like, this is incredible. Oh, Donald it's, like, it's new to me. It's not easy to surprise us anymore as an audience. <laughs> no, We're it not is innocent. not. <laughs> you know, like, like an apathetic teenager, we have endless opportunities and resources and endless chances to see something special, but we've become more and more bored by the nature of art due to our endless access to content. Oh. And it's rare and it's really rare. exciting. To see something that feels new. Yeah. You know what, um... So that was Donald Glover. For those of you who are unaware of his voice, that was Donald Glover of uh, community fame. And he was like a musician for a bit, maybe still is. And he was in Atlanta and he wrote for 30 Rock and is in like two scenes as a younger Tracy Jordan, I think. Oh no, one of them is like in a university. I'm pretty familiar with the 30 Rock canon. And uh, yeah, so that was him talking uh, at a dinner just about some of the things about how the show inspired him. you know, I listen to Big Tall Boys. He's an avid listener. He's a huge fan. And you, you know, I, like I don't need to recap what he said. He, he, he's a big fan. He introduces it to people because it's, it's kind of just, it, 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 it's destabilising the landscape. You know, it's taking what was and making it into what could be. And what I mean, you're listening to the show. What am I doing? What am I explaining this? You're listening to the show. Let me talk about my connection with Donald. Ah uh, yes. Yeah, so me and Donald met five years ago. We were um, we were sitting we were sitting outside and we're just having a chat. Well, I was having a chat with a friend. Donald was walking past. Um, he was on his tray of food food items. He's coming out of like a cafeteria of some sort. Uh, and I, you know, I put my foot out. I put my foot out, and I know what you'll say. Alex, why are you bullying these celebrities? And I thought, because in my mind, it was like, this would be funny, it'd be like a meat cute it'd be a funny thing if he tripped, and then we got to talking. Uh, yeah, but he, so he hit my, you know, his feet met. Mid- my shin, he toppled down to the ground, um, broke his nose, kind of like fell and crumpled into himself. Ah,, uh, oh, what happened after that? Well, he was he was carried away. He was carried away. Um, and I got a little bit carried away. I was saying like, you know, don't, don't, don't sue, don't be weird about this. It was a prank. Look for the cameras, Donald. Look for the cameras. Uh, And I visited him in hospital for about three years. So it's very similar to The Big Sick. If you've seen the film, The Big Sick, is we kind of broke up. Is that was the moment when we said, look, we don't want to see each other anymore. So I started visiting him in hospital and he was unconscious in a coma for quite some time. I was waiting in the waiting room. I met his parents there. Lovely people, lovely people. They're going through some sort of strife though. It seemed like they didn't love each other as much as you'd expect because of the problems that they were dealing with in their unconscious child that was presently in a coma. So I spent some time there with Ray Romano, kind of like chatting and dealing with stuff and learning about um, learning about them and learning about what love means and what it means to connect with another person. Uh, and eventually, when denials woke up, he was mad that I was the first face that he saw. He started throwing shit. He got very upset. And I decided to move. You know, I moved across, I went on this big comedy tour What happened? Have you and then he showed up in the crowd and i don't know i actually don't know what happened after that because that's when the big sick ends and i don't like to speculate on what happens after a film but i'm pretty sure it goes to black and white names start going across the screen and that was pretty much what happened with us you know We were there smiling at each other. I was razzing him in the crowd. And then everything faded to black. And then it said, directed by Camille Nanjiani. And that was pretty... You know, Emily V. Gordon wrote the script, you know. And then that was pretty much it. I I, I seized up myself, you know. I went unconscious. That was the end of me. Little did I know, uh, several years later... I wake up from a coma, and who should be the first face that I see but Donald Glover? Are you kidding me? Excuse me. Turns out he did the reverse. He did the opposite situation. He spent a lot of time in the break room talking to my parents, and we got to chatting, you know? Well, he moved across country, I went to his comedy show, which, you know, it became really important to us to, like, mirror... What had just occurred. So I went to his comedy show. I showed up in the audience. We smiled. The smiles that were exchanged. And then he invited me out to dinner. And he said all these positive things about my show. And we got to learning about that it's not about first impressions. We make these first impressions where we trip people. Think it's funny. And we break their nose and put them into a coma. And it's only when you wait by their bedside for several years. They show up to your comedy show with a smile. You go into a coma for several years. And they show up to your comedy show with a smile. That you realize... Hey, (laughs) we have a lot more in common than you'd expect, okay? We're both guys guys we're both out there fixing cars all the time and that's actually what we bonded over a lot we'd often get like a rag that was covered in diesel and wipe it over our forehead while talking to police that were questioning us about a recent disappearance <laughs> and we will just trying to work we really got along a lot and it actually meant a lot that he was able to give thanks here um thank you for giving thanks and praise i know i say this a lot but He's honestly he's honestly a light in my life, and I know he likes to razz me, but it means a lot that he listens to the show every single week, and that he comments and subscribes, and that he, you know, that he's always there for me. So, from me to yours, to them to you, thank you, Donald. Thank you. <laughs> Let's jump into the next one. Let's have a look-see about what this uh, next bozo said about me. <laughs> it's about... The love Ooh, it's he has Ford. for her. It's about the loss he feels oh, when he yes, thinks yes, she's, yes, yes, yes. she's gone. Mm. It invites the audience, the viewers, emotional involvement. It encourages yeah. us to feel. It's an example of entertainment elevated to art. So that was, of course, Harrison Ford, better known for his Star Wars appearances, lesser known for his Star Wars interviews. He's a great man. You know, he's a great man. He, uh, I met him on the new Blade Runner. He was kind of just hanging around in a shirt and jeans and they just kind of filmed him into that. And he honestly did a great job (laughs) despite seemingly just kind of standing around. And we got to talking for a bit. And uh, yeah, like we, we got along a fair bit but we honestly weren't that close so it's interesting that he was able to comment on me obviously you could probably use some context clues um context lenses to ascertain what he's talking about here which a lot of people are probably aware about he's talking about here my leaked phone call messages um to a woman that i was previously in a relation with uh which i would i'd like to not mention who they are or what was going on with them or anything Emma Stone but you know that was like a previous situation and there was some phone leaks that went out and this is Harrison Ford talking about those and talking about the emotion that was involved with those phone leaks but I want to talk about the phone leaks I'd like to talk about my relationship with Harrison Ford I said that we weren't very that close of course we exchanged letters which is honestly maybe more intimate than <laughs> how I relate to a lot of people in my real life Because I feel like if I'm sending letters, that's a real connection, you know? I wrote something with a quill for you. Not even a pen. I wrote something with a quill for you. That's intimate as fuck, okay? Uh, But, you know, we exchange Christmas Cards and Christmas gifts and secret Santas and every single holiday, we're always sending things to each other. Actually, I have one of these letters right here. I can actually bring that out. I've actually just moved house so... <laughs> Not that the letter would really be here, but uh, a book that would be nearby me that I could use to pretend to be crinkling is not here. So please, I'm not going to add it in post. I can't be bothered. Pretend you hear the crinkling of paper. Usually I'd grab something nearby and utilize that full transparency. I don't have anything nearby me. So just pretend that what I'm about to say is being read off something that's real and tangible in front of me because I don't have the usual (laughs) props that I might be one to use in usual recordings. Here's here's what he said. I'm really reading this, obviously. Dear Alexander, although we have never corresponded in purpose, <laughs> not in person. <laughs> although we have never corresponded in purpose more than once. And all of our other engagements have been without reason or cause. I know that our relationship is something that means more to me than the relationships I have formed with everybody on the Star Wars crew. I'm talking Chibiki. I'm talking... Jaja Binks. I'm talking... Uh... For some reason, I was gonna say Hans Gruber, but definitely no. Hans Solo, myself, my own character. And I feel like that being able to relate to you through letters makes my hand feel connected to your heart. I know that I'm not usually a poetic individual, as you've probably ascertained through my interview structures where I often dismiss my roles in acting prowess and my connections to the wider Hollywood sphere. But do know this. For those that I love and care about, I do Bleed for the pros. I do try to connect. I do care about you. This has honestly become one of the deepest relationships of my life. And I don't owe that to cellular communication. I don't owe that to us meeting at a cafe. I owe that to us accepting that we don't need to be there standing side by side, silently, watching A Netflix film while playing with each other's laps and getting all excited before heading on into the bedroom. The excitement comes from knowing that with distance, the relationship will never end because we're too far apart for us to get annoyed at each other's small problems. (laughs) My bum knee. (laughs) <laughs> Your insistence to make up fictional letters. <laughs> this is love. This is true love. From you and yours, I will always be here for you. Not solo, just Hans. Not Gruber, just Harrison. Ford. Harrison Ford signature thank you thank you thank you Harrison we didn't do obviously you hear the clapping sound effects we didn't get any of the crickling of the letter but we do have applause inserted in post because that's where my priorities lie thank you Harrison for it was nice that I was able to share that letter I hope me sharing that with the wider world does not ruin what we have uh, our connection between each other. Let's jump on into the next one. I'd love to listen to more of this praise because honestly, it's a real morale boost. You took me to another place. You made me grow two inches. You brought me into your trailer, <laughs> Jamie. And Jamie. When, yeah, when, I did. When I when I got a chance to be in that movie with Oliver Stone and all of these big big stars <sighs> and big legends and big egos, you had no ego at all.
1: You no, brought me I into
0: wouldn't. your trailer. You told yep. me stories. We played chess. Uh, I let you win because. <laughs> I wanted to hear more stories <laughs> and you don't beat your heroes man you listen to them and I'm gonna say this and I'm gonna get out of here when God made you he took his time then he took a 30-minute break and he said that was a good one thank you Damn. that's Jamie's, Jamie Fox <laughs> Jamie Fox everybody <laughs> Yeah, me and Jamie, me and Jamie are good friends, you know, we're real close friends. I will say this is probably the first one of these praises and thank yous and acknowledgements that actually does kind of make me mad. I, I'm assuming you already know why he didn't let me win at chest. And I know, he, I know he's saying that he let me win in chest and jest, but um, I must confess that, um, he was trying his best, okay? He was really, he was really tooth and nail trying to move his queen around. I was digging in with a pawn. There was a real back and forth. There was a real queen's gambit to it. He'd lift a piece, he'd place a piece. I would do similar, and would hit little stop-timey things, and... You could tell that we both knew the rules. Like, we were, we were really at each other's throats. If, if it was shot like an anime, there would be intense close-ups on our eyes and swift moves of our hands. And internal dialogues about what would happen if we did certain things. And our rivalry would build into a friendship. That's really what was happening there. Also, he then buttoned it off by talking about God. Which is like, Jamie... We all know that we're not allowed to discuss that in front of the Academy. We all know that if we start joking about God in front of all these other people, they're gonna realize that we know what's going on, okay? Look, you didn't hear it from me, but... Everybody who's above the line is aware of the grand divine purpose. We all know what's going on. We know the systems of operation and why we exist as entities for our grand mission and it's always frustrating when you meet one of your peers and they're openly talking about it and it's like jamie fox you can't just be saying this to all these plebs okay you can't be saying these to all these individuals who are gonna take this home okay and then what alter their perspective of the grand belief system never Never mention God. Never thank God in a speech. The only time it ever happens is at the end of an award show. You thank God with a little knowing wink to somebody else in the academy. That's the only time where it's like a little bit sliced alone, but we accept it. What is the great purpose? Of course I cannot tell you. Jamie Foxx cannot tell you. We're not allowed to say, but I'll give one hint. Every one of us above the line are allowed to give one hint about what the grand purpose is. And here is my hint it's less cool than you think it is. Okay, whatever you're imagining, whatever you're imagining like my grand purpose is this, it's less than that. And re- that applies to everything. You could be imagining that our grand purpose is for all of us to, I don't know, just exist as some sort of simulation stop. Too complicated. You could imagine that all of us are existing because somebody's trying to understand. No. No understanding. Whatever your idea of the grand purpose is, it is smaller than that. I'm talking like in a box. I shouldn't be saying in a box. That's a pretty good hint. I can't explain why. I can't explain why. And I know that's going to be frustrating for all of you who understand that by me uttering these words, I have to fulfill the promises at the end of the comedic bit. But do know that if I do say it, there won't be any more of me. And that means there won't be the end of other premises that I've set up before. Okay. We're still waiting to find out the grand reveal of the end of this episode. You know, how will he end it? What will happen? You can only know if we're able to continue. I think I've I think we're done with this one. <laughs> I think I want to call it with this one. Thank you, Jamie Foxx. I know I got mad at you, but I can never stay mad at you. I loved you and Baby Driver, of course. You drove me everywhere for that film. I know you weren't the driver in that film, but why he was recording it, he was actually working as my personal valet. So that's just some behind the scenes. <laughs> oh, okay, let's do it. What's the next one? Let's listen. And then it dawned on me, he wasn't stone-faced oh, because of my awe-inspiring performance. He was trying to contain his laughter. <laughs> this story, this story. And the more he tried, the harder it became. And eventually everyone in the room but of course me was in complete hysterics. <laughs> and then he turned to me and said, that was good, um, that, was, that was good. Uh, why, don't you, why, why don't you, on that last line, why don't you just try to just, just take it down a notch. <laughs> One notch. Just. So I did. He did. I took it down a notch. And I learned the valuable lesson that some things are good only to a certain degree. Leonardo DiCaprio. Okay, first name, one of my favorite of the Ninja Turtles. Last name, one of my favorite of the DiCaprio. I got nothing. I got nothing. Caprio. It's too unique a name for me to connect that to any sort of pun. First name, close to Ninja Turtles. Last name, no connection. I don't know another DiCaprio. I'm not educated in the DiCaprio realm. Leo, what can I say about you? Um... You're a darling. You're a dime in the rough. You're 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 the best. You're great. He's look. He's a ladies' man. Obviously, we all know this. He's the kind of man that gets the women's hearts a pumping and the men's p- pants a bumpin You know. <laughs> so yeah, Leo here is talking about his audition process. So it is interesting. It's interesting. He came to me. He wanted to be on a. He wanted to be on an improvised show. And I said to him, Look, Leo, I know you've got this history of acting in things and that's kind of like your whole wheel forte but you don't really get how this works you got to say things that come to mind you got to make up things that come to mind you got to be able to accept that you'll have one idea and then you need to bail on it you have to accept that you need a Christian bail on some things but you need to also commit to other things okay like okay so this is what happened this is what happened we got him into the room and we were saying, this is for my old podcast, Know What You're In For. with was Grace Prison Warden Anthony B. Watts. He was going to be on an episode. It was Leo there. He was auditioning against the one and only John C. Riley because I figured they're of the same type, you know, of the same general range. Obviously, a lot of roles that John C. Riley is booking. In the audition room is Leonardo DiCaprio and vice versa, okay? Great Gatsby could have been a John C. Riley film. Brothers could have been a Leonardo DiCaprio film. They're that interchangeable. So as both of them were in the room, And we're looking for somebody to come onto the show and Leonardo came in and he came in big. He came in strong. He was playing this character who was rough and tumble from the streets. He said that his favorite game was hopscotch. He was limping. He had a back brace on. Uh, He could only look out of one of his eyes. And immediately I had to explain to him what audio was, how it operated, what it was carrying inside of it. Is it waves? Is it particles? I had to really break it down into the physics basics for him what part of the body is going to be on the recording he would ask and i'd say no parts of the body it doesn't matter if you're limping nobody's going to hear that it's actually just the audio coming out of your mouth and he said what about the ears i heard ears have something to do with it at which point i had to explain that's actually the receptors for the noise and he was nodding really big at this point but you could tell that it was hiding the fact that he didn't understand so i got out a small i got out some papers from one of my bags that i'd used to teach teach our school children and i'd draw some waves across there and on one side i had a person's mouth on the other side i drew a pretty intricately designed ear illustration and I began to explain how noise reverberates inside of the eardrums replicating the sound waves that were flowing through the air towards an individual at this point he was nodding bigger so I figured I think we're done (laughs) I don't think look I know you're a great actor but if you don't understand the science of it you're not going to be able to do the show because everything you did was visual you had the limp and the eye and everything like you didn't even say one line And he said, Can I do a second take? And I say, Okay, this time don't do it as big. And this is what he meant, you know, whatever he was paraphrasing. He was paraphrasing what I said. I just don't don't be such a big piece of shit is actually what I said. And he went, Okay. Okay. He did a little nod. And so he came in. And he just had one closed eye. And I was like, okay, at least that's something. At least the rest of his body is just sitting in the chair in front of the microphone. He wasn't directly facing it. I was thankful that we had a pretty good sound capture set up at the time. You know, omnidirectional and whatnot. Uh, And he started telling this story. He just launched into a full monologue, Macbeth or some shit. I don't know what it was. I don't think it was Shakespearean. I think it was something he had written. Because he had out his sound. It was an S- I want to say, I don't want to date the year of this, but yeah, whatever ones were the phones that were exploding just before those, this is before Samsung had that reputation and he's looking at his phone and he's reading out this story and it's this, it's this monologue about, I guess him and he's too, it's like him entering a convenience store and buying a yogurt and getting into an altercation at the bodega within, I guess it was in, in New York with the individual behind the counter because there was a tear on the seal of the yoghurt, but Leo had already paid for the yoghurt and he wanted to grab a fresh one, but they were denying him service. And at this point, they recognized that it was Leonardo DiCaprio. And I don't know why at first I said this could have been a Shakespeare thing, because it's very much about Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, and they had this conversation there, you know, he recognizes Leonardo DiCaprio, said, you can obviously pay for this, and he said, "Yeah, but that's not the point. The point is that you're supposed to provide a certain level of service." He said, "I did. That's why I sold you the thing that you were looking to purchase." And he said, "Yeah, but the problem that I have is that the thing that you sold me isn't up to scuff of the product um, promise that is fulfilled through 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 customer and through." Uh, what's it called? Seller. And he and he said, well, take it up with the ombudsman, at which point Leo took out his S2 or what have you and began calling out the ombudsman inside the uh, monologue that he was saying. He then went on to talking about letters and back and forth with the obs- ob- ombudsman and eventually it ended up being a problem with Shabani, the yogurt distribution company he got in contact with them was trying to sort some stuff out and this was really detrimental to his career because he had a contract to work with uh Yo Play and even though Yo Play, like even though Shabani was being discredited Yo Play was upset that the negative negativity beto- uh, towards Yoga would have some sort of negative implications on their entire brand image and Leonardo's ruthlessness of attack towards Shabani would destabilise the yogurt marketplace and lead everybody to realise that they like ice cream more. And all this to being said, I didn't accept him into the show, (laughs) obviously. Look, that was one of the most intricate stories I've ever said in my entire life without like any, this is just what happened in the room. And at this point I said, look, sometimes it's too much of a good thing is what I said to him because I figured that was the only way to get him out of the room. And he gave me the deepest, biggest nod of all time really indicating to me that he had no idea what had fully transpired in the room. Uh, And then he said, you know, uh, will you call me? You know, should I call you? And I'm like, we'll con, we'll contact you, Leo. We'll contact you. And it's honestly really nice to hear that he's still on good terms with us because I figured by at this point he must have figured out what when and in- what happened within that room. Obviously, we're not going to call you back, Leo. It's been several years at this point. We have this disconnect between us. I don't want to involve you in any of my projects at all, but. I do recognize you're a great actor. You have that pointing gif. I'm a big fan of that where you're holding the drink in The Great Gatsby and you're pointing. But I can't help but feel like John C. Riley would have done an equally good job. Uh, and John C. Riley didn't get booked, of course, because he was um, he was too busy filming Sherlock Holmes or something. I don't know how to fulfill that thread. I don't know how to fulfill that thread. I've done all of it. That was the whole thing. Let's jump into the next one. Big, long story that I gave you and there was really, I don't know if there was enough of a payoff, but that's what I said. I said it all. He's the next one. The guy who finds what is noble and what is fine and Oh stable, Meg. and who finds the extraordinary and what is ordinary. Thank you. A person who not only notices that stuff but reflects it back to all of us. Mm. His family, his friends, his audience so that we get to see it and feel it too. So we get to have it work its magic on us as well. He's one of the people that I'm gladdest to know and see and hear from much less work with. Three movies with you, sir, and it's Fucking only crying, been my maybe. joy and my privilege. Well, that was, um, obviously, as I mentioned, that was Meg Ryan. Meg Ryan is um, honestly a treasure. She is a delight. She she did mention, so we worked in several films together... Um, It's crazy that she even recognises me in terms of, like, working together on films, because I feel like a lot of our relationship has nothing to do with the film stuff. On all of those things, I've been, what, an EP? I've been an executive producing all of her rom-coms and what have you. Like, I haven't really been in there. I haven't been on the ground. I've just been funding everything for her for these productions. The real way that I know Meg Ryan is that I bigged myself. I bigged myself... I bigged, <laughs> you all know what that means. I bigged myself, okay? It's what happened. And I know, and I'm aware, I know immediately you're screaming at your podcast devices. Wasn't big the Tom Hanks film that Meg Ryan wasn't in? And to that I say yes, but I was confused at the time, okay? I bigged myself and I just needed a shoulder to cry on. I need somebody to talk to, somebody who understood Tom Hanks, but yeah, I didn't know Tom at the time. So I went to make Ryan, we sat down for a bit, I explained what happened. I said, look, I was out at the pier and I was trying to do an us. I was trying to do an us. I was trying to find a thing to go into to find the hands across America and to make some weird dark clone version of myself. And unfortunately... I got bigged. It wasn't my plan originally. I was trying to us and I bigged. And honestly, it really blew up in my face. It really blew up in my face. Because instead of getting my coin version of myself with a little knife, I got a older version of myself inside of my own body. Like I became big. And... For those of you who haven't seen Tom Hanks is big, obviously you know what it is. It's a boy that becomes Tom Hanks, which is every boy's dream. They look on the TV and they said, I wish I could be that man. I wish I could dance on the piano. I became big. I became Tom Hanks. A lot of people don't know this. Here's the big reveal of big really happening in real life is in the movie. It seems like it's a young boy that jumps forward to an older age and they become You know, that's it. That's the whole thing. And Tom Hanks is just the actor betraying them. But really, when you go to a Zoltar machine and you wish to grow up, the monkey's poor of it is that you just become Tom Hanks. (laughs) Like, that's all that they do. And so I became Tom Hanks for a little bit and- it was cool. Like, it was pretty cool. I got to, like, clap at a lot of award shows. And I got a lot of camera time in that aspect. I stopped really performing in a lot of stuff. But they keep showing me at award shows. Because it's like, it's Tom Hanks. We've got to applaud for him. What am I saying that he's not in the- He's in tons of stuff still. Tom, H- Here's the thing about Tom Hanks. Despite me... My time inside Tom Hanks' body really taught me a lot about Tom Hanks. Beyond his acting credits, beyond who he is as a person, I really learned a lot about his shampoo usage, rampant. I learned a lot about his dogs, Biscuit and Tango. I learned a lot about his typewriting fetish. And a lot of people would say it's a fetish. I know that previously he connected with people on Reddit or whatever by distributing typewriters and selling them. I did not even know. I did not even know. Once I was in his body... I realized that all of the typewriters were left in a room that while seemingly wouldn't be a problem, like if the typewriters were just in around his house and it'd be like, oh, he just collects them and they're around the house, but they're in like a back room and the way you get to the back room is like through this twisting bookshelf and all this shit. And it, there's nothing particularly wrong with the room, but it's just very dark and it makes it feel like, hey, obvious like even though he's so open about them it's clear that his relationship with them is somewhat insidious there's something more to this than i can honestly understand and i saw there on the typewriter there were messages and i i reached out to some of the messages and i read one of them and it said alex i know you're inside of me and i was i was stunned because i figured that while i was in tom hanks's body he was probably inside my body and um what i began to learn that while i was inside tom hanks's body like the film us his body was displaced into uh, like he had a, there's a separate version of tom hanks and that version of tom hanks this is nothing like us that version of tom hanks was inside the typewriters messaging me so i got really concerned about what was going on in, with my body, I reached out to Meg Ryan. I was talking to her about how we should maybe like fly out to visit this Australian boy to get like something going. I didn't want to go alone because I was frightened, and I didn't know Tom Hanks's relationship with any of his family beyond Chet, and I don't want to talk with Chet. So I contacted Meg Ryan, and we got on a flight. We flew back to Australia. We went to uh, Alex's my house, and there on the ground we found my limp body, face white, decaying on the ground. And there was a letter. I opened the letter and it was from Tom inside of the typewriter. And he said, if you don't give me my body back, there's not going to be a you anymore to go back to. So I sat down with Meg. We had a cup of tea and we just hashed it out. It was like pros and cons. We got out a whiteboard, pros I'm Tom Hanks. Cons, my original body decays into nothingness. Pros, my original body decays into nothingness and I don't care for it anymore because I'm Tom Hanks. Cons, what if my consciousness is somewhat still tied to the body and once it decays, the spell is broken and I stop existing? Pros... I'm in Tom Hanks' body. And it just, it kept going back and forth. And me and Meg just had to hash it out. And we had to have a long discussion. We set up late at night and we eventually decided, look, we don't know the magic of this. We don't know how long the spell will last. So she led me to, she got, uh, she drove me back to the airport I guess (laughs) I would confront, I'm trying to lead the story into the end of Big where she kisses him and then he walks into the distance and turns into the young boy but I can't get there this time. Sometimes I get there to the end to circle it back, but I can't get there. So there's my intention of what I was trying to do. I rambled too much with this. Us wasn't fulfilled. Nothing happened with this one. I'm going to cut this one. This one's going to be cut down a lot because I couldn't find it. I couldn't find the thing. The promise of the big thing was good. I liked the Meg Ryan connection. I liked the Tom Hanks habit. you know what? Maybe I did like it. We'll see what I feel about it in post. We'll see how much of this survives. I have a feeling, I have a feeling that a lot of it gets cut and you're going to be like, whoa, there was a red jump in Alex talking and then Alex explaining how he cut a lot of shit and like, yeah, <laughs> that's because it didn't work. That's because it didn't work, baby. We're gonna go into the next one. We're gonna do the next one. We've been recording really long episodes lately. Let's just let's fuck let's fucking do this. Let's skip through this. The fact of the matter is that he is even smarter than he is letting on. He is toying with us. (laughs) Look at him, Steve. Look at his face. He's laughing at you. mocks us for his own personal pleasure and for this i think we owe him our thanks (laughs) i am in awe so that was steve carell obviously um what can i say about steve he he Like, honestly, he makes, he makes my heart swell two sizes too. He grinches me. Okay. My heart gets too big to contain inside my little wee body. Okay. He, 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 he emanates. He exudes beauty and kindness and love and giving and care. Okay. He is like a pregnant woman in that he radiates. Okay. Not that he is radiant. He radiates like a pregnant woman. A Geiger counter goes fucking wild around him because the Geiger counters don't understand that there's two bodies in there, which means there'd be an increase in, uh, I was going to say seismic activity, radiation, radiation. I don't know what I'm talking about. Steve- Steve is lovely. He's a great guy. And obviously this was at some sort of dinner or some sort. I don't know. Some sort of dinner where everybody was in gatherings and he was praising me. And I was nervous. I was giggling because I don't like being the center of attention. A lot of people don't know this about me, but I'm pretty shy. Beyond like audio recordings and stage performances and talking in front of large crowds and classrooms and everything. I get really nervous when people are like talking about me and saying that I'm great and cool and chill and fun and nice and cool and like lit and beautiful and hot hot and sexy and I want to just grab him and rip his shirt off, you know? And I I get I get worried because then it's like, what is the person in the audience listening to this think about their significant other in contrast, you know? I get really shy and concerned that that person that's sitting there is then gonna realize, huh? I guess the grass is always green on the other side. I guess I could honk off a slice of that meat pie, you know. I, I I'm afraid I'd I'm afraid I'd start a lot of divorces. Is a big fear in my life, you know, in my in my career path. It's kind of frightening. So I get shy, I get nervous. And Steve was Steve was putting me on blast. He was saying that I was mocking everybody with my laughter. And obviously he kids, he jokes. Okay, we obviously know each other through um, our love of Crazy Stupid Love. His love of it because he was in the film. My love of it it because of me watching the film and enjoying it and mailing him about Emma Stone and different things. I don't want to talk about Emma Stone, okay? It's the one thing I don't want to talk about. But, uh, yeah, obviously, Stephen and me have this connection. I kind of see him as a father figure in a really strange way because in a strange way because there's more of a daddy figure than a father figure. So that's... (laughs) I guess that's a different type of father figure. And when I'm saying father figure, I mean like silhouette of a father. I don't mean like, I don't mean like a father that would push me on a swing. I mean like I see him as the model of what a father is. I'm talking cup of coffee in hand. I'm talking, I'm talking sweats on. I'm talking bundled up to get away from the cold. For some reason, my idea of a model of a father, it's very chilly out for them. They've got a coffee. <laughs> they're wearing their sleds. They got a dressing gown on, and I guess they're shoveling snow off the porch. And I, I've, ne- I don't live anywhere around snow, but that's what a father is to me. It's somebody who shovels snow. And Steve Carell is a bleeding shoveler. Okay, he would shovel like no man's business. He he would shovel like there's awe underneath that ground and it's our bloody anniversary and he wants to commemorate that. And honestly all I want a lot of these have been pretty long me talking about these celebrities. All I want to say about Steve Carell is that I love you and I miss you. And if you ever want to get a coffee sometime, I'd love to. I'd love to see you holding a coffee and I'd love to comment on your coffee choice and I don't know, to play footsies under the table and just kid around again. And if Emma Stone comes up, that's cool with me. And we can talk about her and how she got scared being lifted in Crazy Stupid Love so that to get a stunt double in for that one scene. The one piece of trivia that I know that's really giving it's really going a mile. It's really going a mile. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Steve. Let's Let's listen to the next one. Just strip away those layers of goodness. Yeah, okay. You know what you get? Okay. You know what you get? You get me. <laughs> Evil, vindictive little p- That's what you get. You could strip away all of what he is. No, you get you and me, and it's true. Tim Allen. What is there to say about Tim Allen that hasn't already been said? Conservative prick. Uh, Santa Claus movies. Tool time, uh, like he he has a legacy that he is tarnishing every single day. Every single day he says, I'm going to be the last man standing. I'm going to, well, here's the thing. We can't, <laughs> I'm saying tarnish, but I mean, Tim Allen's always been Tim Allen. We all know who he is. And he was me a lot here because obviously, like, we don't really get along. But we have that relationship that's kind of like, uh... It's kind of like the the two individuals who are on other sides, but they connect through their love of the game. You know, he loves he loves acting and pretending to be somebody else, and I enjoy pretending to be. Uh, well, here's the thing. No, I'm not pretending. I am who I am, so I'm not going to commit to that. I'm actually like I'm actually like not pretending at all i'm actually like just who i am and he's saying that there's these layers that i can strip from me and i become him because a lot of his ethos his ethos is that all humans at their core selves when you strip down all of those layers when you peel back the layers of the onion when you get to the core of the shallot that's what this theory is called the core of the shallot you end up with another tim allen he believes and this is his religion i i think That at the heart of it, and I don't, again, I don't want to give away the God stuff I mentioned earlier, but let me say I've pretty much, I've pretty much given everything away by saying this, is that at the core of every person is Tim Allen. And I'm not talking, I'm not talking about like people who are like Tim Allen. I'm not talking about displacing yourself through big technology to become Tom Hanks. I'm saying that if you stop pretending to be the person you need to be to be validated, underneath it all is physically, atomically, identically another Tim Allen. All of us are Tim Allen. And learning this has been one of the greatest challenges of my life. Because I (laughs) I can't deal with that. And he let everybody know in this speech, and everybody thinks he's joking. But here's the thing. Look in the mirror for long enough, and you'll see it. You'll see him. You'll see him. You'll see Tim Allen staring back. You'll start a wooing. And you'll start Santa Clausering and nothing can stop it. That's who you've become. Whew. Absolutely devastating. Let's listen to the lot. I don't want to talk about the... Here's the thing. I'm having a lot of fun here. And even though the God Tim Allen stuff is a pretty cool concept... I don't know how much I want to talk about Tim Allen. I don't know why I included him on here. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. I guess here we go. La- this is the last one. This is the last one. So I just want to say that I'm prefacing it before we get to it so that we, I'm, it, it enforces that I must go off with a send off, you know, that I have to try a little bit more for this one. Here it is. I can't tell you how grateful I am to know you. and You have <laughs> helped me so many times and in so many ways showing up for SNL monologues. Mm. Being a guest star on our dumb TV show, marrying a woman who is like a younger, thinner, smarter version of me, just to keep me hustling. <laughs> Tina, 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 Tina. Tina Faye is one of those people that when you meet her, it's like, wow, you're short. And you don't realize it in the show because they, like in 30 Rock, because they seem to like... I don't know. It's like camera trickery, like they do with Tom Cruise. But she's actually like really small, like crazy, scarily small, like an ant running beneath your feet, and you're afraid to squish her. And that's the main thing I'd say about Tina Fey. But the, the the thing that I the thing that I understand through this recording and like understanding our relationship is everything and everything is that sometimes she'd need me to come in for SNL. She'd need me to do one of my famous characters, my one of my famous characters, and I'd get into costume and they'd throw me out there, and I'd be like, Oi, oi. Yeah, you know, everybody's all everybody's all upset with everybody because it's all a bleeding mess out there in political land. And you know, it's not a lot of shirts, my nang 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 nang, nang, nang shirts. <laughs> Obviously very popular. Obviously very popular. Uh, And being called into that dynamic is interesting because you start to realize that, hey, maybe I don't need to be a consistent cast member. Maybe I don't need to be a featured player. Maybe it means more that even though I'm not there every week, I still get the call to come on because they know I'm that good. That they can't actually book me weekly, that I have to be flown in to appear. And Tina is a dime. She's a dime. She's a dame. And she mentions there, you know, like keeping her hustling for marrying the younger person. Yeah. Um, this is actually kind of a big deal. And I didn't want to talk about it too much. Yes, I did tell Tina Fey that I married uh, Emma Stone. And Tina, Tina, Tina wasn't supposed to say it out loud in public. Uh, and then she called me, and Emma called me. And then. That's kind of like what the recording was that I mentioned earlier. I don't want to talk about it or anything, but a lot of the complication was, yes, I was going around saying that we'd planned something, me and Emma, that we're doing a summer wedding, that we were going to enjoy the cherry blossoms, I think. I don't know, the seasonality of cherry blossoms. I didn't plan that far ahead. I just planned summer. So me and Emma were going to do a summer wedding in the middle of Toronto, hoping for cherry blossoms of all things. Uh, and Tina Fey believed me wholeheartedly and she gave the speech out to everybody and Emma was there and she gave me like this look like, I don't know, it was almost like, who are you? (laughs) Like, it always felt like that look of, I don't understand why my name is in your mouth right now, Tina Fey. Uh, So she, 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 she messaged me and we had a pretty lengthy conversation. There was a lot of back and forth between us. Things got heated. Words were said. Divorce contracts were denied by her because we weren't married. And I had to start accepting the reality of the situation that she had concocted, that we didn't know each other, that we've never met. That I don't know her. That I'm not, I don't have a relationship with Tina Fey. That I'm just sitting there in this award ceremony because I'm a paid seat filler that has concocted this idea in my head that I'm a part of the Hollywood elite. That I'm in the circle and I understand the relationship between all these people and that I'm in the center of it, like a spider's web that's being weighed down by a fly. And I thought that me as a fly meant that I was the individual that was of most attention. But it's just that I was something that could easily be discarded and replaced. I was there to fill a seat when they cut to commercial and somebody was taking a big one in the bathroom when they had to empty out the old Calvin Clyde piss tray. <laughs> uh, and yeah, so that was, that was the recording. Uh, and yeah, so that was cool. That was cool. So, uh, yeah. So I accepted that reality and I realized that, yeah, I don't know these people and that's fine. Like, that's cool. And I think what's nice about it is that even though we've never met and even though I'm sourcing these recordings to try to build up myself and, you know, validate me and make me feel like I'm important, look at me, look at me, look at me. It's that, isn't that what love is? Isn't that what love is? You know, I mentioned at the start, our anniversaries are where we give each other oars from the ground to signify that our love is something tangible. Is that any different than getting a bunch of recordings of celebrities and editing them to make it seem like we're important to them, that they're talking about us and our show? Isn't that the same thing? Isn't that the same thing as exchanging the rings and having nobody screaming objection and running down the halls? Isn't that the same thing of buying a cottage out in the middle of nowhere that we can use as a rental property to uh, offset our tax income and earn an increased revenue source together? Isn't that the same as getting a dog that we love for 12 years and then slowly having to deal with the repercussions of an elderly pet that is slowly starting to seep into our funds and making us have to kind of think about whether a pet is like the pet's life is worth as much as how much pain that it's making to our bank accounts and sort of lying to ourselves and saying the pet is in pain. Uh, just so that we can stop having to pay for its medical treatments and put it down. Isn't that the same thing as having a kid and then, uh, you know, loving it unconditionally until it starts getting bratty in their teens and then hoping that they're the type of kid that takes up a trade so they're quicker to move out? Isn't that the same thing? Isn't that love? Okay. So to that I say to Donald Glover, to that I say to Harrison Ford, Jamie Foxx, Leonardo DiCaprio, Meg Ryan, Steve Carell, Tim Allen, and Tina Fey. I've sent you a spoon in the mail. I've sent you a paper. I've sent you or You're my valentines for this anniversary. You're my loves of my life, okay? I care about you all deeply. Some of you I've been in my head, you know, I've imagined myself big as you and... Some of you I bet at chess once, you know, some of you I was on set with at Blade Runner. Some of you have seen my show and I tripped and got them into a coma like the big sick. (laughs) I remember that one. Some of us, we all are like Tim Allen. Some of us, we Meg Ryan, Steve Carell. I'm forgetting everything I said about everyone. I'm just kind of sounding them off. Oh, that was like the Tom Hanks one. I kind of overshadowed Meg Ryan with the Tom Hanks. (sighs) And I guess what I want to say is that we're in love. And thank you for listening to this week's episode of Big Tall Boys. Like, favorite, subscribe. to everything you do at the end of another episode. But for this one, this week you're going to share this to the aforementioned individuals. I want Donald Glover to reach out. I'd love to be on Atlanta. I want Harrison Ford to reach out. I'd love to be on... He's deck talking, I guess. I don't think you'd want me on set. Uh, Jamie Foxx, I could be... Uh, I could be electro with you. I could be like a little Thunderbolt sound effect on your shoulder. Leonardo DiCaprio, let's go yachting sometime. Meg Ryan, let's do a rom-com. Let's film it, baby. Uh, Steve Carell, uh, I don't know what you're up to recently. I don't know what you're up to recently, but let's talk... Actually... Let's talk about you because I'm concerned about the trajectory of your career. You're obviously making a shit ton from the office reruns and all the distributions on the streaming platforms, but I'm concerned about your fulfillment in your life beyond revenue sources. So actually be nice just just be able to sit down to make sure you're doing okay. Tim Allen, let's catch up sometime. <laughs> let's just like, well, would it fit in it for now? Some point in the future we'll catch up and we'll get to chatting. And Tina Fey, Let's do this 30 Rock reunion. I love the show so much, and I just I miss it. I know you did a thing for Peacock that was really fucking rushed and shit, and obviously just to make some money. Let's really get it happening. I'd love to see you. Uh, I'd love to see I'd love to be here. Uh, thank you. All of you, you mean the world to me. I, the listeners and these celebrities. The anniversary's coming up. I've got big plans that definitely are going to amount to something. There's definitely going to be a thing that comes out that says anniversary episode, and you're going to be like, wow, now that's for- that's fulfilling that he did that. I've definitely got a plan. <laughs> Recent episodes of this show have been really long. Ever since I moved into the new rental, uh, I've moved house, as I mentioned earlier. So I don't have all the papers in front of me like I usually do, and for some reason the lack of papers is keeping me focused on the episodes and making me put out hour-long episodes every single week. If you're enjoying the hour-long episodes, let me know. If you feel like they're way too fucking long, also let me know. I don't know why it's happening. I don't know what's happening. They've just been longer recently. Maybe it's that I feel some level of freedom in this new locale, okay? I've become untethered from a previous rental agreement, and now that I'm so fixated on increased costs, I try to distract myself through talking into a microphone. I don't want to think about the fact that I'm soon to be destitute. I want to chat. I want to hang out. I want to, what's that thing? I want to play this song. Um, hi, can I get a big tall boy? <laughs>